Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and I'm here with a guest that we've been um, super excited to be able to talk to. Um, We have had a couple of reschedules, and we're just really excited to get this episode, um, this conversation to happen. And um, Eric Garcia, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm just putting down the chihuahua. <laughs> That's okay. Katie, <laughs> it's an awesome to, it's a, a pleasure and awesome to be here with you today. So Eric, um, before we get started, I, I have a feeling that it's a rare person listening who probably hasn't heard, heard your name. Um, you have been a speaker and a trusted resource for such a long time in vet med, but um, in case they're not familiar with you, would you mind just giving us a little introduction to yourself and what you do? Absolutely. So I am an IT and digital strategist. So in short, that means uh, I help support practices and the profession and industry on digital strategies that are aimed at enhancing communication, workflow efficiency, uh, and also uh, attracting clients and engaging Uh, with pet owners kind of across the spectrum there. So in short, you know, spend my time traveling, speaking on this and working and coaching practices. So it's a very rewarding line of work. Yeah, I remember seeing you, um, I think it was at VMX one year and you you did a presentation on marketing to millennials. And I loved it because it was one of the first millennial centered presentations Mm. that was not viewing them in sort of a condescending way. It was more like, hey, these people are, you know, they really care about their pets and this is what you should do because you want them as your clients. And also then you reinforced my deep hatred of stock photos. So (laughs) (laughs) I also really appreciated that. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) That could be a soapbox for me, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, so before we jump into the conversation, I wanted to ask you something because, um, you know, we spend so much time asking your opinion on specific questions, but I wanted to hear a question that gives you freedom to answer it. So if you were, um, you know, if you could put up a billboard that every single veterinary professional could see on their drive to work or a tweet, if you're a tweeter, <laughs> um, what what would it say? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to kind of glance over here because um, it's something I probably looked at for the last two years. And I so I have a little whiteboard off, off to the side of the screen and, and I look at it every time I'm answering the emails. Um, but it's actually something that a friend told me, and I think it's actually a a well-known statement, but that was new to me, but it says, say no, so you can say yes to the things that you want to do. Uh, And I think we can apply that in so many ways. But for me, it's just to say that you don't have to say yes to every opportunity or everything that someone is asking you. I think for the average veterinary professional, it could be as simple as, you know, not having to say yes to working an extra shift and to say yes to the things that you want to do, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for your family uh, or whatever it may be. And so it is something that I very much live by. Day to day, uh, I love sure. that. Yeah, I love <laughs> that, and that makes it even more meaningful that you're here talking to us today. Mm, but yeah, I, there's so many things in the profession we can't get out of doing that could be unpleasant. And so having the choice and knowing that we have the choice when things are, uh, you know, when we have the power to say yes or no mm. um, and, and really using that power for our own good and for the good of, of the people that we know will help. Absolutely. Love that. Thank you. 
<laughs> okay, so today we're going to be talking about marketing and um, something you know a lot about and something I have an interest in in zero training. Um, but marketing is something that I feel like could either be something people love or it's kind of like a dirty word and they're like, ugh, you know, necessary evil. But, you know, right now everybody is so busy. I have not talked to anybody in our profession in the last two years who isn't just totally slammed, shorthanded, um, frustrated with clients sometimes and just feeling like they're they're overwhelmed. So the good news is, right, when you're so busy that you can't take new clients, you don't have to focus on marketing, right? Uh, yeah, not so much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's something that I've been trying to get practices to think differently about over the last two years. Um, and and I, so I have a lot to say around this, and but I'll try to distill it down to some of the most important points. Um, one being that um, it's true, we've uh, practices across the spectrum have been just insane. And that's just not been here in the US, but also in Canada um, and in other parts of the world. Uh, and so practices are thinking, I don't need to change my website. I don't need to do social media. I don't need to do these things that are called marketing or I don't need to spend money. Uh, but the reality is, is that uh, there are two things. One is we should always have a brand presence or some sort of marketing that we can easily scale up. So it is important to have a fresh, new looking website and to have a social media presence and to have some search engine optimization, things that maybe you don't truly need to spend a lot of money on, but we need to have that presence there. So when we start seeing the growth decline, then we can ramp up that presence. Uh, and so it's very critical because if we don't invest on these things on a routine basis, especially when we're busy, and then when we start to see this decline happen, then we're going to have to spend months creating a website. We're going to have to spend months uh, investing in a search engine optimization strategy that doesn't change overnight. We're going to have to spend time uh, fine-tuning a Google ad campaign or creating content for social media. Uh, and so it's going to take months before you can reap the benefits of that, where if you already had a system in place, you can scale up. Second part of that is retention is a form of marketing. And a lot of practices aren't realizing that this influx of growth that they're receiving, if they're not investing in retention marketing strategies. So, for example, in a reminder system that meets client expectations to ensure that those pet owners continue to come back into the practice, uh, reaching out the appropriate number of times using those methods. Social media is a form of retention marketing. If we're not investing in retention marketing strategies, then all of this growth that we've received, we're simply going to bleed. And the way that you grow a truly sustainable practice, and what I mean by that is, where you don't have any more exam rooms, where you're booked out for a long time, where you need more doctors and staff, is to retain a majority of what you get, which unfortunately, based off of what we see, most practices haven't maxed out their retention uh, uh, capability. And so all that simply means is that any growth that you receive, your marketing is just gonna replenish what you're losing. And so oftentimes, um, we become complacent because we're like, oh, new client numbers look great, revenue looks great, but then they fail to realize that they're bleeding a subset of clients. And so uh, retention marketing is probably the most, it, it's always been important, but definitely within last year, the most uh, important part of that strategy. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I mean, I've heard out of the mouths of practice owners recently, you know, like, well, we don't really need that client anyway, because we're bleeding, you know, we have 
we're bleeding staff and we have so many clients waiting to get in. Um, and, you know, obviously if that client was screaming at your staff, that's probably not the one you need, mm. but some clients are just frustrated and they're still good clients and people have gotten a bit complacent, I mm. think in some, in some ways about just never needing to worry about having enough clients that definitely speaks volumes about, um, you know, what, where we should be putting resources even in times like this. But, you know, I feel like there are a lot of veterinarians who are kind of reluctant to invest in marketing. Like they Mm. might put up a Facebook page, but not really use it much or, you know, have a website where you can find out where the clinic is and they feel like that's, that might be all there is that you really, really need. Mm. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so I think a lot of that, I think there's multiple reasons. I I would say probably the most common reason is that they may have invested in marketing at some point, but have failed to put systems in place to be able to track the effectiveness of those campaigns. And so a lot of times what happens is they say, for example, they say, hey, I think we can get new clients, we want to grow, and they don't really trend data before to know where they're at. They just say, hey, you know, the last few months it doesn't look as strong. Um, And then they hire a marketing company or, you know, uh, an agency or whatever it may be. And then they spend money on search engine optimization and Google ad campaigns and having someone coach them on social media content. And they'll spend this money for, you know, a year or so. And then at some point they'll just have this kind of gut feeling where they say, hmm, you know, I don't really know if that's helping. I don't really know, you know, our new client numbers have been a little bit better, but it doesn't feel like it's doing much. And so either they'll stop spending or they'll fail to invest further. And a lot of that is just not knowing where they came from. And so I always tell practices in order for you to feel good about any money that you're spending on marketing, uh, it's important to be able to track your success before those efforts. Um, I always tell practices uh, there, and there are so many great tools out there that you can use. I I know that Covetris has a uh, financial metric dashboard called Sparkline that you can invest in. There's Vet Success. There are so many tools out there that integrate with your management software and give you a financial dashboard and metrics dashboard to be able to monitor your performance. And so I truly believe you should sign up for one of those services find what's best for you, and that's invest in marketing. And have those conversations with your marketing company, your website company, whoever it is that's managing your marketing and saying, here's where we were trending before, patient visits, client visits, new client visits, um, and then have a quarterly conversation and say, we've invested this much, here's where we're at, um, and then say, oh, look, we're growing, this is great, it's working. Or look at it and say, hey, we were investing money, but we're not seeing growth. Why is that? Have those conversations. I remember I met a practice, um, oh gosh, a few years ago at BMX during a workshop. And uh, and he said, you know, I don't really believe in marketing, although it was a marketing workshop that he paid extra to attend. So I knew that wasn't fully true. Um, but uh, he And I asked him why. And he said, he was spending $70,000 a year on marketing with a, a, a firm. And he said, I just, and our new client numbers have been declining. And so I said to him, you know, it, why didn't you have the conversation when you were only $5,000 in about why you're not getting a result? And he just, you know, he admitted, he said, I, I, you're right. I should have recognized this early on. And so I always tell practices in order for you to have that confidence, 
it's really important to, to monitor where you're at and to work with your marketing company. And the reality is, is if you don't get results after a certain time period, that maybe that's not the right fit for you. Maybe they're not delivering. But the ones who aren't reluctant are the ones who do track that very closely and see those returns. And I, I'll tell you, Katie, I try to share a lot of success stories in the lecturing that I do, whether it's someone I don't know that emailed me after a session or whether it's someone that we work with to say, this is not theory, it works when it's done right. And so that's where practices are like, ah, okay, maybe maybe I should be doing this. Um, so that's, that's probably one of the most common reasons, I would believe. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. I mean, as veterinarians, I know, are kind of used to thinking about things with a direct cost-benefit analysis, like we're going to buy this therapy laser mm-hmm. and we're going to charge this much per session and it's going to pay itself off in this amount of time. And sometimes, especially when we're not attract trying to attract new clients and can measure those numbers, I feel like it's probably pretty hard to just intuitively say, I know how to track my return on a marketing investment. But mm-hmm. Um, But when you think about the number of clients that now are so used to seeing brands online and building loyalty that way, if we're not in front of them, then I could see why they would maybe gravitate towards another clinic that had a presence online, um, you know, whether it's through a newsletter or website um, or social media. So um, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I was thinking about that in terms of branding, because I was thinking about like, all those internet, all those ads you get on Facebook. And if you look at the comments, people are like, why are you advertising a product that it's been always out of stock, right? Like every time I see this ad, I try to click on this pair of jeans and it's it's out of stock in all the, the standard sizes. And, you know, the comments sort of build up like that. And you're like, yeah, why are they doing that? But mm. of course, then there's this enormous demand for this product. As soon as it's out, they don't even have to advertise because people have been stalking the site for six months. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's got it. We've got to kind of think about it that way, right? Like we want to be in demand and have people say, okay, they're not taking new clients now, but they will one day. Yeah. And, and, and I, so you're a hundred percent right. And I, and I love that, that way of looking at it. And, and just to kind of even take that and go back to your first question, you know, practices are busy. And so they say things like, um, we don't we don't want new clients to call us because we're not going to be able to schedule for two three weeks out or you know we don't want to do more with our reminder system because they're going to get upset because they can't be seen for two to three months and i think somewhere something was lost where i don't believe and and i could be wrong but i don't believe we ever painted a scenario where preventive medicine was an emergency service you had to have right away and if we did then we probably did something wrong at some point and so it's really important to set expectations so when we send a reminder or when we get someone who's a new client instead of saying "Ooh, you know i'm not going to be able to see you for two to three weeks it's really busy i think instead of saying that which is natural for CSRs to to do um, just like when we present the bill we're like ooh I don't yeah. I mean, it's gonna be high <laughs> sorry uh, yeah, yeah sorry you know uh, instead what we should do is we should say hey you know Mr Garcia it's it's great that uh, you received this uh, health reminder for Frankie we are booked out two to three weeks but it is important that we get this on the schedule because we want Frankie to get those necessary vaccinations the necessary uh, exam to ensure that we keep Frankie healthy so right now we're looking at booking for the month of May what is your availability like the first uh, two weeks of May and start to look at it that way because the reality is 
we need to get those pet owners to continue to come to you. We need to get them to understand the importance of these services. Um, and the reality is, is that right now you might be booked out two to three weeks in advance, but all good things come to an end and that will slow down. And so the way that you, again, become sustainable is that you continue to, uh, to, to forward, not, it's not even forward booking, it's just continue to book those appointments out to when there's availability. Um, but so, I, and so you saying that, you know, someone saying something's out of stock really kind of jogged my memory on, you know, that's, that's a great example of that too. Yeah, we should view it as a good thing that we're in demand yeah. and that you can't get in right away. You know, if your vet clinic has preventive care appointments open all day, every day, then that sort of, unless they're strictly a preventive care clinic, mm. then you're kind of wonder like, where are all the pets with ear infections that have to get fit right. in, you know? <laughs> um, but I, 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 yeah, I definitely, and you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, like. You know, I had two ER visits in mm. eight days back in January, February, yeah. and I was really scared. And I still had to wait eight weeks for a specialist appointment. You know, like yeah. human medicine doesn't view it as an emergency most of the time, even if you're sick. So um, it is definitely uh, a perception thing that um, I think we need to not make it so that people are waiting to the last minute um, to get those vaccines done. Beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah. This AHA podcast is brought to you by CareCredit. CareCredit understands you're busier today than perhaps ever before. To help free up your time, the CareCredit Health and Pet Care Credit Card allows clients to access a budget-friendly financing experience anytime from anywhere. They can learn, see if they pre-qualify, apply, and even pay if approved, all on their own smart device. With just a tap, they have a friendly, contactless way to pay over time for the services and treatments their pet needs. And you get a few more minutes to take care of patients, take care of business, and take care of yourself. So let's talk about the strategy a little bit. Like if you're if you're currently in that situation that so many of us are in where you just feel like I can't take one more client mm -hmm. and I really don't want them to be calling me unless they're calling asking if they can be put on the wait list because mm -hmm. I just can't see them. What kind of strategy? does that look like for your marketing? Like yeah. what do your ads and your social media posts and your website look like? Yeah. So I kind of want to answer because I, I, I think there's two way, there's two different strategies. So I'll answer the retention marketing strategy first, and then I'll answer the new client acquisition uh, part of the strategy because I think both are equally important right now. When it comes to the retention, uh, the strategy there is, um, and, I, and I've been talking to practices about this over, over uh, the last few years, is that when it comes to our reminder system, it is important that we deliver the appropriate number of touch points uh, that are necessary to yield high compliance. And so uh, what I mean here is anytime a practice sends a text message, an email, a push notification, a postcard, any one of those um, uh, reminders, uh, regardless of, of how it's delivered, is considered a touch point. And so there was a study that was done years ago in, in the veterinary space, and it was several thousand practices. And what the study was able to distill down is that the practices that spent uh, that sent between nine and 12 touch points yielded the highest compliance possible. And so a lot of practices here, nine to 12 touch points, and they're like, that's a lot. I already get complaints. People are going to freak out. I'm not going to do this. And so I, I want to kind of paint some color behind this. Um, so the reason that nine to 12, uh, well, we suspect the reason that nine to 12 uh, came to be true. And, and by the way, uh, it was a very thorough study to say, 
these few hundred practices, you're going to send six touch points. These few hundred, you'll send nine. These few hundred, you'll send 12. And then they said, okay, great. We know what your retention is. Now swap it and, and see, you know, did it affect it in a negative or a positive way? So the study was able to prove it. Um, and, and it's since been validated numerous times with practices that we work with or people have imp implemented it in sessions uh, and have followed up since then. But the reason practices don't do it um, or are fearful of it, which I actually kind of like that as a profession, we've taken a more conservative approach uh, with client communications. I think once you overdo it, that it's hard to undo it. So I, I actually appreciate that as a profession, we've been um, uh, always uh, worried about what the client might think or how they feel about it. But the reason um, that most practices don't do it is because they apply their own personal feelings to what they think all of their clients would feel. And the reality, Katie, is that, and we all kind of feel the same, is we're like, oh, well, I'm tired of getting messages from these retailers and they send me you know, five a week. And we have to remember that the reason they do it is not because it annoys the majority of their people who are following them, who subscribe. They're doing it because it leads to that desired action, which is a purchase or whatever the call to action is. Um, a major online pharmacy in the veterinary space. Uh, so, you know, not a, uh, I, I don't like to mention names, but, you know, a major, a major company we've been talking about over the last uh, few years. Um, people don't realize that if you look at their metrics, uh, they send 4.8 emails per week to our pet owners and 95% of those emails actually include marketing. And they don't wow. do that because pet owners are annoyed that they're getting Right. You know, five, almost five emails a week. They do it because it leads to that that desired action, which is purchasing something online. And so it's important to recognize that we shouldn't really apply how we personally feel. We should always kind of go where the data leads us. And, and a lot of data, and what's great is we have veterinary specific data, but even if you look at non-veterinary specific data, it does tell that story of increased touch points. The other thing I always say with this is, if you get a client who's annoyed with too many touch points, we have to work with them instead of saying, okay, I'm sorry. And then they get a post-it note and they put it on the manager's desk and and uh, and then the manager has five to 10 post-it notes. And then they say, well, we're gonna turn off six touch points. Um, instead of doing that blindly, uh, we should have our CSRs change a conversation and say, hey, Mr. Garcia, um, we're so sorry that you received a text message and a postcard. What is your preferred method of communication? Is it only text messages or do you have our app and do you appreciate that more? Work with that client and if they say, I don't want a postcard, I don't want a text, I don't want an email, well, then work with them, change that communication preference to where ultimately that client is then going to be communicated in the way that they want to be communicated. Um, I love that. So yeah, that's a retention strategy. Yeah, um, like actual personalized care, like we're always talking about mm. for the patients, um, you know, and yeah. have the default be to communicate more and you can work with clients who want less. Absolutely. Uh, but just, and I'll probably say this numerous more times, but before you increase touch points, you got to know where you're at before with retention, yeah. right? So yeah. I don't want you to listen to this podcast and say, oh, you know, Eric Garcia said, according to the study, I should have nine to 12 touch points and then just change nine to 12 touch points. I want you to know where you were before. So use a financial dashboard or some sort of practice health dashboard, find out what your retention is or what your bonding rate, which is another word or attrition rate. They're all the same thing. Find out what it is, make the chain and monitor success. So that way at the end, you can say, hey, marketing, it works. This decision, it worked. The other strategy, so when it comes to marketing to new clients, um, it is important that we have something in place. So uh, meaning here that if you're a practice and you and new clients are going to be seen at soonest, two to three weeks, which 
By the way, based on what I'm seeing, it it used that used to be the case, but we're actually starting to see that shrink down a little bit. I think it's uh, regional probably uh, mm-hmm. right now, but um, but say you know a new client won't be able to be seen for two to three weeks, and that's been consistent. Um, then the strategy there is going to be let's have a website. Let's make sure it looks good. You know, you talked about stock imagery before. It's something I get on my soapbox about. Let's take this as an opportunity to swap out pictures, make things look good, make things sound good, make the website functional, make sure it's mobile friendly. Let's have that. Let's spend that time making sure the website is what it should be in order to differentiate ourselves from our competitors. Um, Let's spend that time engaging with our existing clients on Facebook and Instagram and sharing case studies of just the cool things that we're doing. Let's take it as an opportunity to do those things, not to say anything like, hey, we're accepting new clients or I wouldn't even recommend having a major ad presence at that point. It's just to have those systems where we're constantly pushing ourselves out there. And then when you see that, uh, you know, hey, maybe your two to three week time period is now one to two weeks and it's starting to shrink. You can forecast that as long as you're looking at your scheduler and say, Okay, it seems like, you know, consistently we're not as far booked out. So then from that point, that's where you say, okay, well, the website looks good. So now you have the confidence to push an ad out there through Google or a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or or, uh, I still firmly believe in local marketing opportunities um, that uh, exist for certain communities. So look at those opportunities and then start creating ads to push out your practice um, uh, at that time to be able to ensure that you continue to then fill that uh, that schedule back up in the way that it, it, it should have been. Um, so again, have that baseline, uh, take this as an opportunity to make change. There's a great quote from Bob Jones of Bracky Consulting that came out in, I believe, April of last year. And it says, we'd like to say the animal health industry is resilient, successful, but we're not immune to change and it's easier to change when you're successful. And I fell in love with that quote because it's such a true thing. It's to say, our new client numbers are great. Our patient visits are great. We're successful. We don't need to make change, but it's an opportune time to make change. It's an opportune time to say, you're busy. You have a lot going on. Let's upgrade the website. Let's spend more time on social media. If we're only on Facebook, let's start doing Instagram. It's to say, let's start making these changes now so we can continue to remain successful in the future. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I think practice owners and managers a lot of times feel like they have to do everything themselves. But, um, you know, uh, Caitlin DeWild was on uh, the podcast a while back. Um, Yeah, she's so amazing. And, you know, she had talked about some ways that you can get team members involved Mm. in helping out with things like social media, you know, people who really gravitate towards those platforms and love them and use them anyway. Um, It won't feel as much like work when Mm. you're doing it, um, you know, in a medium that you really like. And so take advantage of that, right? Um, You know, have a a plan, but um, definitely seems like a lot of the team can get involved in these initiatives where, you know, you're taking pictures of your team doing their jobs. And that tends to boost morale, too, in my experience. Like, there's I, nothing like seeing yourself in a selfie with this cute puppy and you're like, oh, sure. okay, my job's pretty cool. For sure. It, it's interesting. I, I, uh, what Caitlin's saying is 100% true. The, old, the, the thing I always add to that is pay them, right? So, right. Um, yep. you know, they're probably not going to be able to do it all when they're on the clock in the practice because of the nature of how busy things are. So pay them when they're doing it out after hours. Um, and then the other thing is uh, celebrate it with the team. You know, show yeah. us during a team meeting, say, look at what Caitlin was able to do on social media. This is awesome. Yeah. I was um, 
this may sound stalkerish, but it's not. So I had a, a practice recently that I know where they reshared a TikTok on their Instagram from an employee, which is not normally something I recommend doing um, because it has the employee's personal TikTok handle. But naturally, I was like, okay, I, I went to look at the employee's TikTok because it was a really good, you know, social media post, and she was doing all these amazing things in the practice. And I said, I was like, if she's not on the social media team, she she needs to be on the social media team. Yeah. Um, and by the way, don't share her personal TikTok right. account. Right, and make sure you get permission from yeah, the Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, to, your, to Caitlin's point, to your point, 100% should that yeah. be the case. And the practices that are successful and consistent are those that have more of a team approach. Yeah, absolutely. One of I also liked something that you've come back to a couple times in the conversation where, you know, we're always looking for ways for team members. I, hopefully there are team members listening who aren't practice owners or veterinarians or practice managers and who oftentimes feel like they don't have a ton of power to change the way things are done in their practice. You know, that's just that's the lot in life of many team members, um, because you can't change everything yourself, um, especially when you're coming at it from a CSR position or a technician or even an associate vet. Um, And so, but the CSRs, there's no reason why a CSR can't start communicating with clients on the phone the way that you were saying, where it's not a, so sorry, we can't accommodate your request. It's more of a yes, I'd love to accommodate your request. Let's see when we can make that happen. Mm. Um, Such a big difference. And that's a mindset and a vocabulary shift, really. Yeah. My, my heart goes out to our poor CSRs. I who, know. Who are just so bombarded oh. with everything. And so I, know. I also think that by just changing, you know, how you approach things, it hopefully gets a better reaction out of the pet owner. So our CSRs don't have to be beat down with words like, what do you mean I can't come in for vaccinations for two weeks? This is completely, a, you know, not okay and unacceptable. Yeah. So hopefully by just changing that, they also won't get beat yeah. up as much, which I, on my heart always goes out to our CSRs. <laughs> for sure. And they can make such a difference. Like you guys who answer the phone, you know, you at the front desk who are face to face with a client who's just been told that they owe $3,000 or who's very scared because they scheduled this appointment, they don't know what's wrong with their pet. Like you can make the difference with just how you're talking to that person. I don't know how many clients I've heard say, oh, I left my last practice because every time I went to the front desk, I was just treated like I didn't matter. Mm. Or, you know, every time I come here, I feel like I'm I'm welcomed and, you know, they call me by name mm. um, and, and that's why I stick around. It, it can make the difference. It's not always the veterinarians, you know. A lot of times it has nothing to do with what happens in that exam room. Yeah. Um, so I agree. It's like when you get holiday, you know, cards around the holiday at the practice, you know, a lot of that is does come from the CSR who's taken yeah. that extra five minutes to say, hey, how's your son or your daughter doing? And, you know, yeah. how, how's your, you know, you just got married or you just had surgery in your arm. How's that? Yeah, you know, it's the CSRs who are so good at remembering those things that you're yeah. so right, Katie. Those are a lot of those interactions are what they remember. And that's what bonds them to the practice. Yeah. You might not get the credit, which is unfortunate and you should get way more credit than you do. Um, But uh, you are making a huge difference Mm. every day with those clients. Um, Okay. So I have uh, really two more questions for you. 
social media. So right now, you know, if people aren't really so much trying to attract new clients, people might say, hey, this is a good time to start putting more educational posts on our social media. Do you think that educating clients on social media is a good idea? Do you think we do it too much or too little? You know, like a a post about heartworm prevention or, you know, why Lyme disease is a big issue? Yeah, so education is critical to the success of your social media, but education in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a lot to say about this, so I'll... I'll uh, <laughs> we could be, do a whole podcast yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, yeah, <laughs> we could do... Um, but uh, a few things. One, education is critical, um, but education in the right way. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, a few things. One is, according to psychologists, people remember information up to 22 times more than straight facts alone, as long as it's woven into a narrative, right? So if, Katie, you were coming to Disney, which I happen to live an hour away from, and I was like, Katie, when you go to Disney don't start in Mexico, never start with tequila, start, you know, in Canada and then work your way around (laughs) to Mexico. Otherwise, you're going to remember a lot of those experiences of short narratives. And it's no different with pet owners. Um, If you were to share a story of a dog that was heartworm positive, but is recovering, or a story of a dog that uh, the owner originally thought had a seasonal allergy, but really ended up being a food allergy, whatever that might be, it's important to share those stories because it's what people remember and share less statistics. So uh, we don't respond. Well, it's interesting because as a profession, you know, veterinarians and veterinary professionals respond well to science and data. And so we assume it's the same for the average person when it's really not. If you were to go out there and say one in three pets will get heartworm disease at some point in their lifetime, they're less likely to say, oh, I need to give that parasiticide. Um, But if you share a story of a real pet that was in your community that was actually suffering from this disease, then they're more likely to act. And so it's really critical to think about that. The other thing is, is, you know, we want to try to stay away from sharing too many articles. Um, What's really interesting, so I talk about future podcasts, I do a lot of work in understanding the mindset of cat owners. Um, And and in short, we don't market to cat owners nearly in any way that's effective. That's another whole podcast. 100%. (laughs) And let's do that because I've I've got a lot to say there. Okay. (laughs) But what's interesting is... Uh, according to the American Association of Feline Practitioners, 52% of cat owners uh, said that they would actually bring their cat to the vet more often if they knew that they could present problems. But when you look at the counter statistic uh, or the, the statistic that even leads to that, 81% of cat owners believe that their cats are in excellent health and self-sufficient. So they don't actually believe that their cats get sick and don't self-correct. But if, if you were to tell them otherwise, and so the reason I say that is cat owners tend to respond even better to education than dog owners. Um, And interestingly enough, if you were to share an article on a dog health-related topic, it's probably going to get very, very little clicks. If you were to share an article about cat health, it actually gets more engagement, just to kind of prove that. So, yes, it's important. The the one thing I'll I'll also add is, because I know we have a lot of AHA accredited practices in Canada, um, in Canada, depending on where you're from, you're actually not allowed to market products or services in Quebec. You're not even allowed to market your practice at all. So it is important to recognize that no matter what province you're in within Canada, that as long as we take an educational approach, we're not violating the guidelines that our, our governing bodies have put in place. So if we if we go out there and we say, you need to purchase this Durham diet because it's going to be great for your pet and give them a healthy coat, you can't do that in most provinces. But if you were to say, we had this cat come in with this skin issue, the owner thought it was a seasonal allergy, 
through an examination, we were able to actually find out it was a food allergy. When we started giving this pet this diet, we noticed a dramatic shift. So it's very important to keep an eye out uh, for these type of issues with your pet because if they go undiagnosed, it can become a problem. You're actually allowed to do that. It's a very subtle way of marketing, but more importantly than anything, it's educational. So in short, yes, let's do education, but let's do it in a way that's effective and, and more meaningful. So let's share more stories and things like that. Stories. I love it. Stories are my favorite thing. And <laughs> I I wish all we could do on this podcast is tell stories all day because vet professionals have the best stories. So like, true. I feel like we don't realize how lucky we are compared to, say, your average dentist mm. or like lawyer that, you know, we every single appointment we see is a story and a cute picture and like marketing could be just that easy right if we were just like hey you know let's just mine this content for what it is and um and that that makes a ton of sense and i I love that about canada that you can't just put an ad on your social media but you can say why you know why this pet um got better um with the help of a product Mm. i i think that's really cool um so uh you know, one of the things that, and and I am com- circling back to that marketing to cat owners, by yeah. the way, you'll be getting an email from oh, me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, you know, I think this has been such a great conversation because there are so many things that um, you said that I think will resonate with people who maybe don't see marketing as something that comes naturally. One being that data is, Im- is important. And as you say, we're data-driven people. Mm. You know, we use this medication because the data says it works, and we use this diet because there's tons of data behind it. Versus just buying something off the shelf. And um, if data tells us that marketing is important, even when we feel like we can't see straight because we're so busy, then it seems like it's probably worth spending some time and resources to get that done and get it done right. Yeah, and I'll also add to that. Even if you're successful in what you do today, it doesn't mean that you can't be more successful. Um, I've, I've had practices over the last few years who said, our new client numbers are great, our patient visits are great, but I want an exit strategy. And when I sell, I want to sell for the most that I can. And so they say, even though I'm doing well, I want to do better. And so I always tell practices, you don't have to make change when key performance indicators are going in the direction that you don't want them to. You can very much make change now especially if you're an owner looking to sell at some point in the future, you've built this practice, you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into it. It would be nice to get what it was worth uh, in that. And so just always think about it in, from that sense as well. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to close out, I'd like to ask you my last question, sure. which is if, you know, if your practice is like, oh, I've really been neglecting this area or I know I have to do more, but um, it just seems overwhelming. Like what's one thing that any practice could probably start doing tomorrow to, you know, kind of up their marketing game, beef up that strategy? Yeah. So I don't think there's a wrong first thing. Um, I, I think what I like about the nature of the question is that I always tell practices it's to pick one thing. Um, I, I think one of the things that I've seen work really well, and it ties into what we uh, mentioned a few moments ago, is don't you know don't try to do this yourself. So I think the best thing that you can do is set up a team meeting and say, hey, we want to do more with marketing. We want to tell more stories. We want to educate more pet owners. Um, what are your ideas? And work with your team, and you're going to very quickly see who's very excited and into it, and who's going to help you. Um, and then you're you're also going to very quickly see. Um, people who are just not in, interested or engaged in that by any means. And once you get that, it, it could be a group of people, it could be one person, right? Once you get that additional support, then sit down and brainstorm and say, 
you know, look at our website, look at our competitor's website. How's that going? Look at the pictures. Are they, are they personalized pictures? Let's go to Facebook and see, are we sharing enough cat pictures in comparison to dog pictures or content? But a lot of times when you take that team approach, you will start to just get a ton of ideas about what uh, the direction that you can take. But once you get those ton of ideas, um, continue to narrow it down to one thing at a time. You know, if it's updating the website, updating pictures, adding more cat, cat content, just focus on that one thing at a time. I, I don't think there's any wrong approach when it comes to just doing something. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, that activation energy to get going is sometimes the hardest thing to find. But getting your team involved is always a good idea with almost every big decision, it seems like. You know, that's True. that's a good rule of thumb is like if you're trying to do it all on your own and your team doesn't know, that's probably the first step you should take. So. Plus it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun to brainstorm and yeah. work on things together. So, Eric, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. And um, I think I've identified like 65 other topics that we could talk about. <laughs> so maybe I'll try to narrow that down to one and we we'll, can hopefully do this again sometime. But um, and and uh, just I wanted to thank uh, Care Credit too quickly because Care Credit is actually um, making this episode possible and um, and several others this first year of our podcast and I'm really really grateful to them. Can I add just because you know it's Care Credit? Um, I always tell people just last marketing tip: proactively talk about financing. Oh don't, yeah, don't wait. So and what I mean by that is you can easily and your reminders. When I get a reminder that says my pets due for a service, have a link at the bottom that says. You know, are you looking at ways to afford care um, or, you know, something a little bit more Love eloquent? That. Have a link that goes to your website that shows all of your financing options, including care credits. So sorry, yeah, I just don't... Had, felt the need to throw that in. <laughs> no, I love that. Um, Eric, where can our listeners find you if they do want to enlist your help with all of this? Yeah, so it's pretty easy. Anywhere online, it's at Eric Garcia FL. So at Eric Garcia FL on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, um, any anywhere, any social platform. You'll see me on TikTok, but you won't see anything there. So I just <laughs> use it right now. But it's uh, like my Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like my Twitter. Too. You'll, you'll probably see me more engaged on Instagram uh, or EricGarciaFL.com. Um, but yeah, I would I would love to meet some of your listeners and hear how they were to, able to apply this information. Hopefully, fantastic. Thank you again so much, Eric. Thanks to Care Credit. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.